Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. called Set Apart. And the purpose of this series, the main point is that as Christians, we have been called to be separate from our culture, right? Separate. So not separated, right? Not removed from culture, but just to be distinct within it. And just to be clear, we we aren't capable of doing this. We, We are capable, but it's not because we are we are super special, all right? It's not because we're awesome. We're, we're not special. If, you're, if your mommy always told you that you were special, um, she, she lied to you. I'm so sorry. Uh, you are just like the rest of us. Um, Nora, if you're watching this in the nursery right now, honey, you are super special, okay? You're super special. You're, you're just better than everybody else. Um, and if anyone tells you different, you tell them that you're daddy well, tell your mother, and she will take care of it. Um, all, all kidding, all kidding aside, we're, we're called to be set apart, and we're capable of being set apart because of nothing natural that is in us, but because of the purposes of God and because of the supernatural things that God produces in us. And so we're, we're going through four different pieces of the fruit of the Spirit in this in this series. And I'll just say quickly, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit that we find in Galatians 5, we're not talking about... Uh, multiple pieces of fruit. We're talking about one fruit that just has multiple pieces. You can think of like an orange with slices, right? And so this morning we're going to be talking about the slice of kindness, okay? Um, And not just a general kind of kindness, but a Holy Spirit-empowered and fueled kind of kindness. And and just for this morning, we're going to call this Christian kindness, okay? Christian kindness. And it's important, I think, to make that distinction Because even somebody who is a hater of God may still be kind to somebody, right? You know, worldly kindness is different from Christian kindness. Worldly kindness is motivated by guilt, maybe, maybe by pride, narcissism, maybe even simply by duty. But Christian kindness is motivated by God and his spirit, and it's done for his Purposes. And so Christian kindness is what we're talking about. We're going to look at four big ideas. We're going to look at the particulars of Christian kindness or, or what is it. We're going to look at the practice of Christian kindness. How do we do it? The purpose of Christian kindness. Why should we do it? And finally, the person of Christian kindness or who is it? Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. So number one, uh, let's look at the particulars of Christian kindness. So kindness can be a little difficult to describe, but together, let's give it our best shot, okay? 600 heads are better than one. I think that's what they say. Uh, And so audience participation. Uh, Describe kindness in a word or just a couple words. Love, good. Yeah, okay. Truth, gentleness, okay. Good, anything else? Grace, okay, good. Thank you, extroverts, all right? Um, Introverts, you can calm down. That part is over. All right, just take a take a deep breath. Yeah. So all all of these all of these things, love and goodness and grace, these are all aspects of the slice of kindness. But they're not exactly kindness because you know these things are other parts of the of the fruit, right? Um, but biblical kindness and the kind of kindness we find in Galatians five is 
specific. The, the Greek word, so the New Testament was originally written in kind of this ancient Greek language, and, and the Greek word is a word that is, it's called, it's a krestetes. And it's a noun that's derived from words that mean like goodness and uprightness. So there's a, a, a morality thing going on here. But it also means, it means useful and it means profitable. So along with the morality idea, concept of kindness, there's also a functionality side of kindness. And so here is our official definition, all right? Spirit-empowered Christian kindness means meeting real needs that people have. Christian kindness means meeting real needs that people have. So kindness is loving. Kindness is good, but specifically it is those things in action, or maybe you can think of it this way. If, if love is emotional and goodness is moral, kindness is willful. It's an intentional and deliberate act of our will. And so it's not merely, kindness is not merely niceness. Kindness is actually stepping out and helping another human being with the needs they have. So that's, that, that's what it is. Now, let's look at the practice of Christian kindness. How do we how do, we do this? Um, so here's the thing. We could talk for hours about all the different ways that we could show kindness. We can give, you know, money or food or water to a homeless person on the side of the road. We can, you know, mow a neighbor's lawn if they're laid up. Um, we could fix a flat tire that we see on the side of the road. Um, you know, maybe just keep it in, in-house. We had one of our, our community groups that just, just out of, you know, uh, because, because they want to love people and, and be, be Jesus to others, they went to, I think, a local gas station, just handed out $20 gift cards. That's amazing, right? Um, our, our team from Foothills East, led by, by Pastor Joseph, they went and picked up trash in, in, in their community yesterday. That's, that's kindness. I just learned this morning we have a group going to Kentucky this Thursday, that's, that's kindness. These are all fantastic things, and we should do these things. But for this morning, I want us to not talk about the individual actions, but what has to happen before that. Because before we help anybody in need, I think it starts right here in our brain. We have to have the right mindset. And so we, we uh, turn to Acts 3. If you're there already, I should get there. I thought I was there already. I was wrong. Got it. Actually, um, before we read this, the, I want to tell you just a little bit of background behind this, this passage. Just a few days before this, the Holy Spirit was sent by God. It filled the disciples at Pentecost. And do you remember what, what rested on, on, the, on the disciples on that day? What was it? It was fire, right? Tongues of fire. So the Holy Spirit filled up these disciples. Peter preached a sermon and 3,000 people got saved and the church was born and the Holy Spirit was just moving throughout this, this, this big group of 3,000 Christians and they were living in a way that was so set apart. They were being so generous and so kind and so hospitable that the author of Acts actually says that this, this group of people, was find, they were finding favor with all the people in Jerusalem. The, the community loved having these Christians here because of the way that they, were, that they were living. And so when we get to this passage, don't, we, we can't forget that just because something miraculous happens in this passage, it happens through the Holy Spirit. The, the motivations of Peter and John that we're going to read was through the Holy Spirit. And so the same Spirit that was empowering them and filling them with the fruit of the Spirit is the exact same Holy Spirit that's moving in us. And so this situation that we're going we're gonna to read, though it's a little you know, out there, 
something miraculous happens. This is the kind of thing that can happen to any one of us today in a grocery store or at a gas station. Okay, so there's, there's that. So we're going to jump into Acts 3, and we're going to read the first five verses there. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Now remember, at this point, we're going to be talking about just like the, the mindset, the mindset that we have to have in order to, to be kind. And I think that begins by kind of thinking wide and then focusing in. And so if you're a note taker, there's going to be four parts to the practice here. So four, four A's of kindness, I'm just going to call them. Then the first, in order to practice Christian kindness, we have to acknowledge that there are real needs right here in our community. Now, some of you may be thinking like, well, duh, I didn't need to come to church to learn that, right? But I think what happens pretty often, I know I'm, I'm kind of guilty of this, is that so often I can kind of live, maybe you can too, we live in this little naive bubble where we have kind of like an understanding, we can we have this concept that there are needs around us, but we don't realize them, we don't recognize them, and we don't live as if they are here because we all know that the world is full of evil, you know, inherent sin, and all these terrible things, systemic stuff just happen like a, you know, awful snowball rolling down a terrible hill. It just grows and kind of perpetuates and keeps going. We could talk about homelessness and hunger and poverty. We could talk about financial debt, human trafficking, abortions, drug wars, actual wars, and we could go on and on. And for anyone not going through those things and experiencing those things firsthand, one, they may simply feel like theoretical concepts, right? I haven't, I haven't personally gone through a war recently like some of our brothers and sisters abroad right now, right? They may be theoretical concepts. You may think they were just far from us in some other place, or we think that there's such big problems that we can't personally do anything about them, and we'll just ignore them and leave that to somebody else, right? But in our passage, Luke says that here's this, here's this man. He was lame from birth, couldn't work a job, couldn't move, couldn't walk, and so he was completely dependent upon the, the, the kindness of others, and he was there every single day, you know, Christian kindness will always begin by acknowledging that there are real people with real needs right here in our community, right here in Seneca, right here in Wahala, right here in Westminster, maybe, maybe even in Clemson, you know. You know. There's people in need of Christian kindness even in Clemson, South Carolina, absolutely. So number one, we acknowledge that there are real people with real needs. Secondly, whenever we are around people, we must be aware of opportunities for kindness. Now, some of you are thinking, Blaine, that's the exact same thing as acknowledging. No, it's not. And this is why. Being aware of people that are around us means that we have to be mentally and relationally present wherever we are. Because it's very easy for us to be so consumed with our lives that we just kind of zone out everything and everyone 
around us. You know, we have to go to the place and do the thing for the reason, and anybody who's, uh, you know, around is getting in our way, and they're idiots, and they're not as important as us, and they're not as busy as us, right? We're just better. We live, we live in a, a world of, of one population, uno, me, myself, and I, right? This is kind of our natural, our natural inclination. But thinking back to our, our story in, in Acts, you know, Peter and John, they, they could have been so self-absorbed and so caught up with their own plans and their own, you know, their, their own selves that they, that they didn't notice that this guy was there, was asking for help, needed help. They could have just ignored him, but they didn't. They were present. They were, they were acknowledging and aware of the world and the people around them, and they weren't trying to shut people out because they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were living set-apart lives. And you can't live a set-apart life when there is no one else around you. And so they are aware of the things that are going on. You know, in any time that we are physically around people, an opportunity to be kind, to show Christian kindness could pop up at any moment. And if we're zoned out, we'll miss it. And that's a terrible thing. And so first we acknowledge that there are real people in our community right now that need help. Then we focus in. When we're in a specific location around people, we make ourselves aware that there are people that might need us, that might need the help of us or the help of Christ in that, in that moment. Thirdly, once we take out our earbuds and we take our eyes off of our screen and off of ourselves, right, when an opportunity presents itself, we give the person our full attention. In, chat, in verse 4 there, it says, And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. Directed his gaze. Peter gave this guy his full attention. This means he was walking, he heard, he turned, he looked, and he got involved. He, he ignored for the moment. They completely ignored their agenda, what they were going to do. They laid themselves down and got in there. Completely focused everything right there on the person. You know, spirit-filled Christian kindness will never, never ignore a known need. But we will lay our agenda down and we'll get right in there. So we acknowledge that there are real people in our community that need help. Focus in. When we're in a specific location, and this can be in a grocery store, this can be at a gas station, this can be in Kentucky, this can be wherever we are, this could be in your home. It doesn't matter if the people you are around are complete strangers or your spouse or your kids. No matter who we are around, there is an opportunity for Christian kindness. So we're aware of that. When an opportunity presents itself, we focus in on a particular person. We go wide, we narrow in, then we focus in on a person. And finally, once we are focused in to a person in need, we act. Look at verses 6 and 7 of Acts 3. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. 
Peter didn't have cash, right? Um, he said, I don't have any silver and gold, but the bigger idea is that he helped the man in a generous and abundant way. Now, I know, I know that this is not the normal situation, okay? Um, you and I, we can pray for somebody and probably have prayed for somebody recently who was sick and that person was not miraculously healed. And I don't suggest that you go to a Coney Memorial, go into a room of someone who can't walk, you know, pull them off the bed and say, walk, right? Don't, don't do that. I guess you can. Just don't, just don't tell the person you're from Foothills. Um, but but here's, the, here's, the big, here, here's the big idea. Um, we should always give people the very, very best of what we have. When we engage somebody with a need, we don't just give them a little bit. We give them give them what they need generously, right? Now, I don't, that doesn't mean you clear out your bank account, okay? But I, th- I think in that moment, God will show us what that, what that means, right? This is why Christians should always give out the very best candy at Halloween, right? We know this. We know this. We give the very best. When we can help somebody, we do it generously. We do it abundantly. And, and this is, a, I think it's really important because I think as, as Christians, I don't think, I know as Christians, Sometimes we'll be, we'll be talking to somebody and a need will be made known to us, a physical need. And though we could help that need right there, maybe we just give them a, a pat on the shoulder or the Christian side hug. And we just say, I'll, I'll pray for you. Knowing full well that we're going to turn from the person and forget that that conversation ever took place. Raise your hand if you've done that. Okay. But look at what, uh, what Jesus' brother wrote in the book of James. He says this. He says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filmed without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The implication here is that talk is Cheap. Talk is easy. Christian kindness demands action. And of course, we pray for the the person, right? God moves when we pray. He is incredibly powerful. He is all powerful and he listens to the prayers of his people. But if we can help the person with a physical thing right there in that moment, maybe we are the answer to that prayer right then that we would pray later. We help. We get in there. We focus in and we act generously. And maybe just one more thing about helping someone. When we exhibit Christian kindness, we do so in the knowledge, already prepared, that when we help somebody, it will always cost us something. It will always cost us something. It may be time, which is not a renewable resource. It may be cash. It may be our plans for that day. It may be our agenda. It may be um, emotional energy. It may be physical energy and strength. But here's, here's the thing. Um, even though there is, there is cost and then there is so much risk, it is all worth it because of number three. It's, it's worth it because of the purpose of Christian kindness. Let, let's read Acts 3, 8 through 10. This is what he says. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. 
and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. So to recap, Peter and John, full of the Holy Spirit, they're just going through their normal daily routine. They were aware of what's going on. They, they had this knowledge, they're full of the Spirit and they got to do the work of God. So they're aware of those around them. They, they encounter somebody who has a real need. They focus in, they help abundantly. And, and the result, though there was a miraculous healing, right? This guy that was lame from birth, all of a sudden walked and jumped and leapt into the temple. This is amazing. Though that is amazing, his greatest need was not being able to walk. His greatest need is that he needed to know Jesus. He needed to be worshiping Jesus. And that was the most generous thing that Peter and John could give this man. And that's what happened. And remember what, what Peter said in verse six. He said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter was not concerned about his own fame. He wasn't concerned with making the name Peter known throughout his city or the name of his church known throughout his city. He wanted Jesus to be famous. He wanted the name of Jesus to be made known in the city. And he wanted Jesus to receive the maximum amount of glory that he could in that situation. And this is the purpose of Christian kindness. This is the purpose. It's the purpose of the slice of kindness. This is the, the, the purpose of the slice of every, of every fruit of the Spirit. And it's the purpose of the entirety of the Christian life to magnify and glorify our great and good and kind God maximally. This is why we exist. And we, are, we live this set apart life, which means to live our life in the name of Jesus Christ and specifically for the name of Jesus Christ. Turn your Bibles to Colossians 3. I'm going to give you a second to turn there because I want, I want us to read it in the book. Paul writes this in verse uh, 17. He says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give me thanks to God the Father through him. Uh, in World War II, um, in, the, in the battle for Iwo Jima, uh, there was a, a skirmish that took place on a mountain called Sarabachi. Um, and this battle lasted for a couple days. And finally, the American forces broke through and they reached the top. And at the top of this hill, a group of Marines took a big flag and stuck it in the ground at the very top of this mountain. I think we have a photo. So you guys have seen this, this photo, right? Yeah, one of the more iconic photos of World War II. You know, what, why did they do this? What's, what's, the, what's the point? What's the meaning behind doing this? The, the main the, the point was to say that this mountain was taken and this Battle and subsequent victory was fought and won in the name of America, right? These soldiers were acting as representatives of the good old U.S. survey. What they did was attributed to what America did. Now, I'm not making a political statement here. It's just an illustration. Everyone relax, all right? Um, in our passage that we just read from Colossians, 
Paul's telling his readers that everything they do, everything they say, they should do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what this means. If you're a Christian here today, you and I, we have all been given a gigantic Jesus flag. Big flag. Jesus across that thing. And everything we do, everything we say, every word that we mutter, every email that we send, every Facebook message, every Twitter message, every, everything that we do, we should be able to stick that flag in the ground and say, Jesus did this. And Jesus should be glorified by that. And so here's just take a moment to reflect for just a moment when we stick that flag in the ground. Because here's the thing, if you are a Christian and the people that you spend time with know that you're a Christian and they should, everything that, that you do is going to be attributed to the God that you serve. Whether, you like it, whether, whether we like that or not, that's going to take place. This is how people work. Because anybody who's not a Christian is always trying to figure out a reason why they shouldn't be a Christian. And most of the time they point at Christians and use that as the evidence for why they're not a Christian. So when we do something and that flag goes into the ground and that flag is waving with Jesus' name, does that action bring glory to Jesus or does it bring disgrace to Jesus? Does his reputation get better because of us or does it get worse? The purpose of the Christian life and the purpose of every life for that matter is to bring glory to the Father. This is why we were created. And exhibiting Christian kindness, I think, is the best way for us to do that because when we help someone in need abundantly, when we are generous, it's a perfect opportunity when we place that flag in the ground. We tell the person about Jesus. We pray for the person. We invite them to church. We make them make sure that they know that it is not for the sake of Blaine that we are doing this. We're doing this in the name of Christ. It's the greatest gift that we can give them. We give them Jesus because Jesus is the person of Christian kindness. Jesus perfectly personifies this. And when we are, being, we are being most kind, when we are being most Christ-like. And, and we talk about acknowledging that there's need. Jesus didn't just acknowledge us. He created us. We exist because of him. We sang that just a little bit ago. For from him and through him and to him are all things. We are here because of him. And he left a throne. He was being worshipped and served by angels and he left a throne to come here to be rejected by those that he created and is serving and inevitably to be betrayed and be mocked and be tortured and be killed by those who he created. And he, when he was here, he spent time and ministered to the marginalized. He touched even the most contagious of sick people. He hung out with, with, the, with, the, with the destitute, with the oppressed, with the outcasts. He was always aware of the needs of those around him, and he lived to abundantly meet the ultimate need that every single person has. You know, and we said before that, you know, being, uh, exhibiting kindness, Christian kindness will always cost us something. Jesus' last act of kindness cost him everything. And he did that for you, and he did that for me. 
And so if, if you are here today and you are not a Christian, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. The Bible tells us that because of the sin in our life, we are actively rejecting God. And because of that, we deserve death and we deserve eternal separation from him. But Jesus, out of love to, for, for you and obedience to his father and out of a heart of kindness, he took that penalty on himself, took his righteousness off himself and put that on us so we can stand before God. And when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of the perfectly kind, the perfect savior, Jesus Christ. And even if, and if, again, if you're, if you're not a believer, think about the kindness that God has shown you in your life. Your life lived of rejecting and running from God. He's giving you another opportunity right now to turn, to turn and run to him. Anything that our, that our, our natural flesh wants to look for, we can, cannot be found. This joy that we think will be found in something else, this fulfillment that we think will be found in other worldly things, it won't. You know that. Come to Jesus, find true joy, true kindness. And you can do that right now today. If, if right now in you, you, you feel God working on, you feel God kind of drawing you in and you want to come to him and be a part of his family today, you can do that right now. Maybe you could just pray a simple prayer just like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for your kindness in my life. Thank you that you have been so patient with me. Jesus, I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior. I want to turn from my sin. I want to leave it behind. Give me the grace to do that for your glory. Amen.